It's the Occult Mr. Podcast, where we talk about the mysteries hidden behind Mickey. Hello, welcome to the Occult Disney Podcast. As always, this is Matt here. It's Thomas, the paranoid American over there. How is it? It's okay, you know. No, just there, just there. You know, very, we're just here. Very green in there. That's kind of fun. <laughs> when I I used to when I well when I wasn't married, I'd keep Christmas lights like in my room like year round because it's fun, it's jolly. <laughs> or is it just lazy? No, it wasn't lazy. It was I wanted them there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, okay, fair enough. Lava lamp, all, all that sort of stuff. It's great. <laughs> it must have been hot in there. Ah, Christmas lights aren't that hot. <laughs> you string over. I the mean, ceiling. unless you get those nice LED ones, but even the incandescent ones, you leave them on long enough, they start to generate a little bit of heat. Then again, I'm in I'm in Florida, so I'm very sensitive to things generating heat inside. Oh uh, yeah, that that might have been part of it. I was doing it at like you know, yeah, much colder places. <laughs> So it was so, nice. <laughs> so we're hitting the Aristocats and the Aristocrats today, which is kind of a weird mix. But um, why not? I mean, name wise, it makes sense. I hadn't, I hadn't seen either, to be honest. I don't, I don't think I ever saw it. I actually thought we were about to watch the Rescuers, and then I was like, the Aristocrats down under. I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> so you've you've never seen the documentary called The Aristocrats. And you've never seen the Disney movie called Aristocats? Neither it's of them? All, it's all new to me. I mean, I knew about the Aristocrats joke and everything. That mm-hmm. came out 2005. So I would have been in Japan at the time and um, as now. And yeah, would. Was it a 20 year lag? <laughs> Almost. Yeah, it was a 20 year lag for me. So I feel like if I had been in the States when it came out, I might have like, you know, gone to the art house theater to see it or whatever. But because uh, <laughs> I, want, I want, you know, everyone wants to see Bob Saget drop f-bomb sure why not that was that was his latter-day shtick <laughs> so of the two which one would you recommend if you only had time to watch one of them huh. i mean i'd watch the kratz so i am gonna say I, I was writing in my notes like i think the aristic cats is maybe i was about to say it's my least favorite then we got all the psychedelic jazz wow, really? scenes yeah then we got all the psychedelic jazz scenes i was like okay i definitely like it better in lady and tramp now it kind of jumboed me at the end of it you know not, not, I mean, not as trippy as the pink elephants, but that won some points once you know Scatman Crothers shows up as Scat Cat, which is, t- I mean, he should have started telling the <laughs> aristocrats joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> He'd probably have a good one. And, and honestly, this movie, it definitely wouldn't, it wouldn't register on like my top ten or anything like that. But I didn't particularly dislike any part of it as much as some of the other ones. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do any head-to-head comparisons. Well, because I, was... I think. This one had less substance in a lot of ways, um, but it made up for it by being slightly less boring than some of the ones that had more substance. So I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't two hours, so that's a huge plus already. That helps. I was doing a podcast just before this one, and when we were finishing up, I was like, "Yeah, I'm about to do the Arista Cats," and, uh, and well, I, I said both because, of course, but um, I was like, "I was about to be like, yeah, I think it was my least favorite Disney so far." 
And then uh, she was like, oh, I love the Aristocats. I'm like, okay, let's just talk about the psychedelic scenes. I like them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I can see why someone could like this one. There's some other ones that I, I don't get as much. Like, I don't get Lady and the Tramp as much uh, and, and a few of the other ones that we've seen. But this one I understand because like the, the cats have unique little personalities and they go through a pretty decent epic adventure where they like drive them this time you know they drive them away and they have to make their way back home which i guess becomes a pretty familiar trope especially for kids movies and animals right like i i thought homeward bound kind of embarrassed a little bit <laughs> uh, but i mean this one it it moves along and not all the songs are horrible although i i gotta say that the title track i felt like they thought it was going to take off or maybe it did take off more than I realized it did, but it, it didn't seem to hit and have that staying earwig power that the oh. ones that were kind of used to hearing. I'm I'm sure they thought that was going to be a big hit. I, I was, uh, everyone having... wants to be a cat, right? Oh, oh, I was thinking of the, uh, the actual theme song. Yeah. Everyone was, I was like, I don't want to be a cat, but whatever. <laughs> but the, well, uh... I mean, that's, that's the first thing. It's so easy to disagree with. And they even show, you know, that, that some of the cats aren't as good, Great off. Otherwise, why would they want to escape the alley and move in with these bourgeois, you know, like upper class cats? Of uh, course, no one wants to be a cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the title song, are you? Well, we like that one. It's got Scatman. How, how could you not like Scatman? <laughs> Unless you're joking. No, I mean, I, I like the characters <laughs> in the song, and I don't like completely dislike the song. Like, there's some songs from I want to say Bambi that were like they didn't feel great at all. Like they didn't fit. It just felt like they were trying to, to inject some kind of a weird feeling in, in weird places. Whereas this one, it made sense. But again, they, they sing it halfway through the movie and then they end on it. So I guess it might not have been the title track, but it felt like the one they were trying to get people to start singing around the house or the one that was supposed to take off. But yeah, you know. that's our, our BR guest, right? Um, <laughs> so the, the title song, I think they thought that had some, um, some pool too because they brought like Maurice Xavier out of retirement to sing it apparently like he was finished and they're like no you're not finished you're singing our song <laughs> <laughs> just when he thought he was out they brought him back in you know that Disney that sends the goons out yeah 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 so um it, it, it was the number one film in France and Germany of 1971 so <laughs> America did okay, I mean that's like, like being the number one film of Georgia right yeah, yeah, I guess so. Geographically, well, hey, at least, maybe not population-wise. Of course, when they make all the films in Georgia now, unless you mean, unless you mean like um, Asian Georgia. Which Georgia are we talking about? <laughs> Either or, honestly, <laughs> I'm just talking geographically. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, th okay, I guess. And I, and I want to point out that even though it takes place in France, only like two or three people have French accents, and everyone else has an American accent or like a Creole accent or a, a non, you know, Parisian accent. Well, Paris is a mixing pot, I guess. <laughs> and there's yeah. a lot of Americans in Paris and a lot of red, there's rednecks there too, which I kind of thought was awesome. Rednecks in Paris. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> how, how common is that? How common do you see like an, an Appalachian redneck uh, or two brother Appalachian rednecks in the middle of Paris? <laughs> wow. Yeehaw, look at that big steel thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I can get that um okay love love scat cat for sure this this kind of um we i should mention that we we kind of flipped this in ramen hood for well because i didn't look at the list right but 
they kind of introduce all the characters up front here, but it's not as colorful and charming. It's kind of liney and you blink and you'll miss it. I think they kind of phoned this one in a little bit. Like it, it's just <laughs> kind of some sketches in the background. And sometimes they even overlap on top of the, uh, the intro credits, which just felt like it didn't have any specific carrots to it, right? It didn't have any like the animated pages turning or anything that, you know, was making you want to pay attention to these ones. At least me, it didn't make me want to pay attention. Um, and then this is the same art director, the same uh, director as yeah, Ken Anderson did this and Robin Hood. So I guess maybe that's his his shtick. But yeah, done done better in Robin Hood. I would I would say Robin Hood was amazing. That was that's one of my favorite intros. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. That was, that was fantastic. So this one, I was like, oh, it's a little bit of the same vibe. I, I feel like maybe this was the first draft. You know, they they got it perfected for Robin Hood, and then just stopped using that credit sequence. I guess did it, did the Fox and the Hound have that? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I don't. We'll find out if the Rescuers do it or not. Then that's one that um I think I've never seen the Rescuers, but I had one of those little like real things that for kids where I'd watch like little clips <laughs> from the rescuers like a lot. So I don't even know if I've seen it or not, to be honest, but uh... I wonder, have all of the, the versions of the rescuers released to VHS and DVD been edited out? Was it only the theatrical release that had the, you know, the little not safe for work uh, sort of Easter egg? Oh, well, I guess we'll find out. Get it. We pause. We'll, it have, to, yeah, we'll have to do some research on that one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, as for this one, actually, it turns out this is the last one that, uh, you know, before he had his head cryogenically frozen and put on a robot body, this was the last film that Disney had had some personal, um, green lighting for. <laughs> and a little, <laughs> a little, uh, sunsetting too, <laughs> sundowning. Yeah. Yeah. So this was going to be a two part, um, wonderful world of color episode and at some point around 1963 it's like nah let's make it a feature film so i i could see that it has that feel it has a feel that it might have been something else at one point and then it got tossed around it does get back to the uh kind of episodic thing that we saw i think in earlier films i guess jungle book is kind of a similar you know beat though uh yeah i mean so this one has like a weird I guess it gave me like a Mary Poppins vibe uh, a little bit just because the the very opening scene, it's about, you know, oh, how interesting there's attorneys and cats. Like we're going to learn about attorneys and cats in Paris. Like that's the, the opening line is someone's waiting for their attorney to show up, which is always the first thing that I want to hear is that, you know, my cartoons about to be filled with legal characters. <laughs> and then like the attorney shows up and it's basically Mr. Magoo. It's like two like super old people. Right. Uh, and I and I kind of I also want to like lead with this one. To me, this the overall story of Aristocats is about a servant that's being forced to work well past retirement age, <laughs> and and deal with these horrible sort of high society people that are just frivolously wasting all of their money, and joking and laughing, and then forcing this person that's basically their peer, right? The butler is probably maybe I don't know ten years junior to um to to either of the other main characters but he's getting run ragged and he and i think he's justified that this old lady is about to leave her money to the three cats uh instead of to this guy but if the cats all die then it goes to the butler the one that's actually been taking care of this old lady so i don't know, I, 
I if actually related to the premise. Years, it's twelve years, you know, because he's like he's like, oh, times nine. It's like, no, that's stupid. Twelve years was correct. That was a correct calculation. You don't need a times nine. That <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> um, he was though, kind of. I think the the key for me not quite getting into this film. So I'll, I'll read my note. I don't hate Edgar. What, the the butler was or Edgar was the one that you that didn't let you get into the movie. Well, I'm I'm reading my note here. I don't hate Edgar. I just think he's really, 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 really boring. <laughs> he's like the most boring villain. Like I had to rewind this film a couple of times because I realized I just when especially with and it was always Edgar on screen. When I was like, wait, I just zoned out for three minutes. What happened? I had to go back. <laughs> Fair enough. Although I'll say he also comes the closest to viciously killing an animal in you know like with like a hand weapon there's a few places where he goes and stabs the cat and just barely misses and the cat gets caught you know in between the prongs of say like a very sharp pitchfork um and then he takes a scythe and almost chops one of the kittens in half with a scythe (laughs) which would be pretty hardcore if either of those things actually had connected at any point well he seems so quiet till he snapped (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, but again he's he's the most relatable villain i think uh not not in a way that i want to i want to like feel the power like experience it from a cinematic standpoint but i feel like yeah i'd probably kill these cats too if it meant that i could retire and <laughs> uh you know get what was kind of like partially owed yeah i guess i feel like maybe we could have like finessed that character a little more in the end you know I'm looking. Um, are you tell? Are you telling me in Fox and the Hound, no one in that movie in the background ever drowned a kitten because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just what happens. That's that feels like a, a normal course of uh, being. But in this movie, all of a sudden, these these kittens are elevated to such a higher, like they're literally elevated to a higher place than the person is, which is kind of a weird, a weird thing because it's not done in a Disney way. It's like, you're actually seeing this poor guy is going to have to suffer for the rest of his life because of these weird animals. I'm having a look at the actor who did, did Edgar. I mean, it's not that guy's fault, I guess, but he's basically known for this in a Clint Eastwood movie, white hunter, black heart. So I, I guess this is his calling card. So I don't know. Um, Visually, I, he, he reminded me too of the guy that Bugs Bunny's always beefing with, like the opera singer, where like um his, Edgar, his front lapel is always like flipping up and snapping him in the the, the front of the face. El- Elmer Fudd. No, it was a guy that I think might have actually been based a little bit on Adolf at one point. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's fun too. I guess. Um, the other one. Oh God, what what is the cat? Marie or Marie? Marie. And then Tulu. Oh man, I've I have I have them somewhere. Okay. I kept getting them mixed up because I didn't grow up with this one in the back of my head all the time. Same here. And and this is the thing. I, well, the reason I said both, the name both ways is in Japan, Marie is just extremely popular for like merch and stuff. Like to, so it's, like it's now, Marie Berlioz and <laughs> Toulouse. Okay, Berlioz. But yeah, yeah, you, you see Marie all over the place in Japan. Like you know pencil cases t-shirts you know they're, they're not into this movie they just think the cat's cute it's like you know duffy oh Bear. you're talking about the actual cat marie from this movie yeah 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 <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> yeah the, the very popular character in japan but not the movie the aristocats they i don't i i don't know if most people know where that character comes from they just they're like oh that's cute kawaii <laughs> 
But does she have her own movie too, or it's it's from the movie and no one just realizes that it's just a character from this movie? It's from the movie and no one really care, uh, realizes cool. that it's a character. But the Disney stories here will have a whole section for her. <laughs> like very, I kind of love that. That's that's one of my favorite facets of culture. Of like a thing just explodes and it didn't even need all the IP in the backstory, right? It's just cute. <laughs> well, um, uh, you know, uh, Uniqlo, the the clothing company, um, they'll put out like. Series, they'll license, I guess, a few brands or run out series of shirts. So I remember a few years ago, they had a film one. So you kept running across, I'd run across kids or students or whatever. And it's like they're wearing a shirt for The Shining, like, or 2001, you know, it's like the Kubrick movies or whatever. Well, oh, awesome. You, you like the movie? They're like, huh, what, what, what's that? They like yeah. didn't know what they were wearing. They didn't know, you know Jaws, but they didn't actually know what Jaws was. But they were wearing the T-shirt because I. It's like I, an American kid wearing like the Che uh, Guevara shirt or something, right? Because they they like Rage Against the Machine album. Yeah, so I guess that's the thing. I, I feel like in America, if you're where at least uh, when, when I lived in America, if you're wearing a T-shirt, you should like probably be a fan of the thing you're wearing a T-shirt of. <laughs> well that's like a like a boomer meme now right of, of like the old guy that's like harassing some young girl that's like name one song off this album you know and she's got like a led zeppelin shirt or something oh <laughs> yeah yeah I've had, some, <laughs> I've had some ramon shirts come through and they don't know who that is it's, again, it's just like it's a cool design so because it's a ramon seal right I'm like yeah hey, i saw that band live They're i mean the spider-man theme song that's an easy one for the ramones oh yeah for sure um well they went, no, might not know in japan but um it's a thing they love the style but they don't know the thing sometimes which is kind of a how about the marvel movies are there any particular superheroes that that are like insanely popular there that aren't as popular here um i mean i haven't even been in the states since marvel really blew up but um your normal iron mans and spider mans i guess so probably probably okay. the same I, I doubt it's that different in the states you probably get yeah, more it's, it's hard ones. to avoid that marketing machine. It would be like trying to avoid Coca-Cola, right? With all that money behind it. Right. Also, the kids have seen that movie, right? <laughs> they know who Iron Man is, but um, they, they don't know who crazy Jack Nicholson murdering Scatman Crothers is on their Shining t-shirt. Well, that's honestly a shame because I feel like that one's a little bit more culturally relevant. I know. that. That's what I'm saying. That wasn't actually on the t-shirt, though. I was just trying to like dovetail into this movie. <laughs> Get our, yeah, Scat Cat loves Scat Cat. I, I didn't realize that was Scatman Crothers till after the movie. I was like, oh, that's why I love Scat Cat. That's great. <laughs> Who, um, he was, I mean, he was a musician. Uh, what I think one of the, re I was listening to another podcast or reading a book or something where they were talking about one of the reasons he works so well in The Shining is since he wasn't actually an actor, Kubrick couldn't really get to him. <laughs> he was just going to do whatever he was going to do. And it was like kind of outside of Kubrick's direction. But that's kind of why he was cast in, at the same time in The Shining. So, and then when you watch that movie, he seems like he's in a different movie, you know, like in a good way. But <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe he just out crazied Kubrick because, you know, that, that movie was the one that broke Shelley Duvall, uh, where Kubrick, you know, intentionally told everyone on the entire production to kind of just be cold to her and ignore her if she was ever uncomfortable or asked people for like oh could you get me a you know and then they just keep walking like she was <laughs> a ghost almost and it, and it like mentally broke her and i feel like if you tried that with nicholson he could just turn the dial up on you you know what i mean like it, that would be a scary uh game of chicken would would be to like see who can you know outstress the other one if it's between kubrick and jack nicholson Right. So I guess the thing with Scatman is if you cast him, you're just you are casting him. You know, you're getting that package. He's not going to act for you. He's going to be this 
guy on your screen or doing your voice as it is in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, they just had him show up and then they wrote the movie around whatever they got from him in the booth the first time. I was looking at some of the uh, reviews, like contemporary and a little later. Uh, some of the uh, generally somewhat well reviewed. I mean, a little, you know, positive, but on the lukewarm side of positive. Um, I didn't, there were complaints that Phil Harris was just doing blue again, which I don't know. I didn't feel that way. So. I absolutely felt that. You did? Maybe because he looked oh, like yeah, big time. I was thinking more, I, I was going more back to Tramp, I guess, you know, watching him. So, I, which also makes sense. I but. guess, although I, I mean, I made a note here that like, oh, it's it's just blue. Uh, I don't know, like the, the what we're talking about, Thomas O'Malley, the, that, the Mally cat. Yeah. Which, eh, eh. Lukewarm blue, and then um yeah yeah room temperature yeah Sterling Holloway definitely definitely not Ka level here, but again he gets to be um Sir Hiss next or in Robin Hood next time, so this is just a little law in like his awesome roles, I guess. And and also I I made a note that when Edgar drives the first, it seems like he could have just easily killed those cats with the sleeping pills, like that was an overdose of sleeping pills without question to feed little kittens but anyways i was expecting like oh this was a short movie this is 20 minutes he killed the cats with the sleeping pills collects the He's money rich. done the <laughs> end yeah but it just knocks him out but i swear that the um this redneck farm that he drives him out to that's the farm from fox and the hound no isn't that it seems like he's dropping him off with the hound yeah yeah it's a short drive from paris to the backwoods in kentucky <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, I don't know. It felt like the same little journey too, because you know that's kind of that same premise where they they drive away from you know this this remote location, and you got to like find your way back. It's almost I don't know. It it felt like if they could have reused anything, they could have done that and just said, oh yeah, it's Paris now. I this I definitely wrote my most inappropriate notes for this movie. So that's fun. <laughs> When O'Malley shows up, I wrote that alley cat's out for some pussy. Um, and then he starts doing a finger motion. I'm like, whoa, that's that's like Steven Tyler on the rock and roll coaster. They had to digitally edit his fingers out, you know, but um, O'Malley's still doing something relatively horrible looking there. So <laughs> wait, what did what did they have to edit out? Because I, I actually rode that constantly. That was one of the rides that was within five minutes walking distance from the front door of where I was working. Yeah, apparently, um, no one caught for years that he was making the shocker with his hand for a decade or two. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I saw that. But they, I don't, okay, I don't... Did they edited it, 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 it. It's like not there anymore. I think I heard a rumor like... they're going to switch it all out for Queen anyway, but uh, <laughs> that's unfounded rumor, of course. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if that's very practical but it doesn't it sound cool practical if they, re- if they revamped it no it's not practical at all but whatever the ai can do crazy things at this point the, I, like I, the freddie mercury life <laughs> life journey it just ends in a hospital room at the end it's like very sad yeah yeah the the, co- the coaster slowly slows down and <laughs> yeah. a kind of magic starts playing <laughs> <laughs> some kind of magic I forget, is that the album name something like that um <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, and then after that, I read, are the kid kittens about to watch kitty style? Because O'Malley is quite forward. He, okay, maybe I didn't. He's so much hornier in blue. <laughs> uh, like yeah, I don't know. Baloo, it's, it, at least I I feel like the voice didn't match the the character on this one. Mm. Uh, and and I and I say that going into it, and not I guess you know I don't 
mind the voice of blue and i loved the the tailspin version which i know is probably not the same person but i i the voice is cool like i love the cadence and the feel and everything it just did not match this main character at all especially not like the the personality that they were portraying with this character i, I don't know it, it should have been a little bit slimier i think it would have been so much cooler as like a master shake style voice they, they were oh that would be fun they were going for quite a while with the idea of uh him having you know tabby cat stripes which they decided would be too hard to animate so they dropped yeah it, it would have been a would, pain in the ass but would that have like added like a little bit of like making him look sleazier to make it work no you know what because now he's got competition with heathcliff and heathcliff was way cooler than you know mally cat okay that's uh, i i think this might be a year or two before Heathcliff, but yeah, yeah, about the same time. It doesn't so. matter because Heathcliff wipes the floor with with Thomas O'Malley. It's not even okay. it's not even competition. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I have a a friend that's still like mentally scarred by the Heathcliff theme song because <laughs> when he was a kid, he had a Heathcliff alarm clock, and it instead of ringing, <laughs> it would play the theme song. So <laughs> he just can't handle it anymore. <laughs> Again, it's that even that is more of an earwig than everyone wants to be a cat. That is true. I can't quite remember what uh, everyone wants to be a cat sounds like. I heard it last night, you know, so <laughs> yeah, Heathcliff, I got that all in my head. Yeah, <laughs> this also interesting enough, I guess, I guess Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood. Um, when when Maid Marian or someone comes along, the young male rabbit says something about, oh, that's sissy stuff when, you know, they're talking about kissing and this movie again, the young cat when Thomas O'Malley is, you know, kind of like making like some romantic gestures. Again, this kid's saying like, oh, that's sissy stuff. I just thought it was such an interesting. Like someone felt that that was such an important dynamic that they needed to keep repeating it in these movies for the young kid to see someone showing affection and immediately get grossed out and say, oh, that's for sissies. It the just seemed like such 70s a... 70s kids. It's it a very specific sort of line of dialogue to to repeat. Like it's it's like when a, a comedian tells the same joke twice, you know what I mean? Like, oh, did you hear it the first time? <laughs> well, when we get to the aristocrats, that's part of the the thing there. You cannot repeat yourself, right? You fail if that's you repeat true. something. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so in that way, they failed with this joke. Um, <laughs> um I'm looking uh, at my other snarky observations. Oh, be careful, children! That is not the right parental response to let's play train. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's talks of swingers. There's like some extra thirsty geese. Uh, they come in the mix, right? Like the the geese seem like they're just, uh, you know, Racist. wine inebriated Racist soccer moms British or something. Geese, <laughs> casual racism, <laughs> and also of just the just Empire. like just it was very casual. It was, <laughs> and the uh, there's like a waddle scene. That I feel like that was supposed to be some big, like if if you know they were cutting a modern trailer, that would have been the big reveal or the big laugher. But it was like, okay, yeah, funny. You've got cats walking, sort of silly, but it's also a cartoon. Like the whole thing is about making animals walk silly. So the fact that they were emulating the stupid little waddle and they gave it like an extra ten seconds or something and faded out on it i don't know it just it felt like someone was expecting that to be a huge payoff and i didn't really get it my note was those birds sure shake their dong okay <laughs> because i had 10 seconds to write that i guess as you just said <laughs> uh, although I, I, kept... I do love i guess this one and mary poppins was the other one 
where they just absolutely adore the drunk, you know, family member. It's usually an uncle, like a drunk uncle that's clearly having personal issues and drinking themselves probably into an early grave and eventually is going to ostracize the rest of their family because everyone that drinks this hard ends up making like some kind of horrible, you know, uh, life decision that affects everyone around them. But in these Disney movies, there's never a downside, right? Like you just come across your uncle that's drunk and ranting and just got thrown out of an establishment in the middle of the night. And it's like, oh, uncle, you know what I mean? You're so fun. And the kids, like everyone's like, oh yeah, go play with your drunk uncle kids. I don't know. <laughs> it, it seems like such a weird uh, uh, archetype, you know, of of the the friendly and encourageable drunken family member. Yeah, for sure. And, and then we get we get into back into town. And I did notice one of Scat Cat's first lines is, "Are you are you all a bunch of are are you all swingers?" I was like expecting next week, like, "Hey, you got a key for the bowl?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if someone asks, "Are you a swinger?" What? How do you respond to that? I mean, it's Paris, right? Isn't that just sort of how it goes? Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. Like, I I do remember back in the late '90s with the whole Lewinsky thing, and the, and the French were like, "So." <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's just how everyone operates here. our prime minister does this or president or whatever does this like every other week right <laughs> and and also i noticed that o'malley does some code switching because the second he shows up he starts also talking like scat cat and he's like you know lay some skin on me scat cat and he kind of like leans really hard as if he's now a jazz singer too which is kind of funny yeah but that is i mean that is where the movie started to win me over that is what they put on the poster but i, I got you know sitting I like the vibe. I got sitting here. The uh, so I've got a theory that the more American this movie gets, the more enjoyable it becomes. And then the farther away they get from American culture and directly into Parisian culture, then it becomes boring again. See, the latter part of this movie cross reference with this box that I have here, which is the Jazz from America on Discs Vogue, where they would fly in American jazz artists and have them do like twelve inch vinyl in like the early fifties. So. Lot, I mean, great. Who's on here? Duke Ellington's on here. Art Tatum's on here. Charlie Christian, Errol Gardner. You know, they they'd show up in Paris, get paid for a session, and you know, maybe do a few concerts and go back home. And I can't help but notice you've got a Zoot Cat poster behind you too, which feels appropriate. I don't know if you did that just special for this or if that's a coincidence. Oh, that's always there. Um, I put that there about a year and a half ago when I realized I kept doing these podcasts. And there's you've been planning ahead for this particular episode for, for a year over and a half. Year? That's for, that's right. <laughs> that's yeah. a that's a long payoff, years. man. This, I that poster was uh in my in my bedroom uh twenty years ago too, man. This is a this is a long burn. <laughs> <laughs> you lick the edge of that do you think you'd still trip a little bit <laughs> yeah oh yeah i should go go lick it and see what happens <laughs> oh let's see uh now all of a sudden get... you actually start understanding everyone wants to be a cat you, you'll you'll I explain it, why that really yeah i get it now the it flashing all makes sense. colors kids just should have joined the beatnik life i mean um I do like the idea uh, of using meow as an exclamation more often. You know, you see something like meow. <laughs> it, I don't know. It, it has a certain connotation to it. The way that they say it, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I wonder, too, kind of like the, the Cats movie, there was a 
apparently there was a butthole version that they never that's released. what i heard that's what i heard for the for the podcast where i have to watch terrible films that is eventually on the list but it's gonna be a few years and i will be looking for the butthole cut if i can find it but that, that might be a rumor i might have to watch well last i saw there were some ai versions of just like specific scenes where they you know digitally re-added the buttholes again and it is superior <laughs> it is definitely a superior version okay i'll, I'll, I'll have to see i mean that'll it'll be like 2025 or 26 when we they could have done the little so. jewels too i don't know if you've ever seen the infomercials for the cat they call cat jewels and it's like a little like it's like a like an ankle bracelet that you wrap around the end of a kale uh, uh cat's tail so that this little like you know ruby or like a little emerald looking piece of cut glass kind of like conveniently hangs over the butthole <laughs> okay i thought you were about to tell me they're giving their cat a butt plug <laughs> I mean, it it's it doesn't necessarily plug it, but it just kind of like gently rests against the edge of it, and you just pretend it's not there. But but there's a point to this, and I was wondering because specifically, there's a uh, in this scene where they start dancing for the first time. There's some extreme close-ups of the back of the cats, and that was the first thing I thought of was I wonder if in the animation room there was a butthole version of this scene because it would have been hilarious. Oh, and, and it would have made this so much more enjoyable that's maybe why five of the nine old men worked on this movie <laughs> 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 they were like oh, let's, let's screw around with the movie so that'll be fun i did just notice my my final note here was got a tongue a tab of acid for the end so uh should have should have licked my poster back there okay well man oh. that, there, there's so many other parts of this and it because it, it's sort of the ending scene you know when they they go and they start singing and dancing because like as soon as that happens um they go back and then they send the mouse but it's it's sort of the big crescendo uh right or it's, it's like the big climax at the end is when they they do this big uh jazz song and dance with the psychedelic colors and everything yeah 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 well that's called winning me over but uh for that segment of the film now now edgar's last plan is to try and send them to timbuktu and i'm like hey a cat can probably have a fine time in timbuktu uh yeah honestly it doesn't seem like the cats were ever in any major danger except for when he's literally trying to murder them with you know sharp instruments and poisons but sending them away and driving them away seems like it wasn't that bad of a plan that seems pretty reasonable to me yeah so maybe, maybe oh, that's i feel where... like they would all have died like you, you put a bunch of animals in a trunk <laughs> and send it across a few countries they, they show up dead you know it's, okay, this isn't a schrodinger's a cat situation yeah, okay, that's a good point. They're all they're they're dead. There's no live cat in there. Okay. Which means Edgar too, since that's ultimately the fate that befalls him, he is dead. Like he <laughs> he shows up in Timbuktu and there's a rotting corpse inside of a trunk. <laughs> that that that's definitely a different movie. So um do did you have any like you know weird? I got a few more, I got a few more weird, interesting observations. Weird. Like Oh yeah, sure. For example, in that last musical number, everything's copacetic, it's fun, it's funny, it's maybe not the best earworm, and then all of a sudden they inject a Siamese cat that's <laughs> and and it's it seems like the Siamese cat's only there to poke fun at, you know, Asians, probably because it's post-World War II and there's still like a little bit of making fun of that in all the different cartoons. But he literally pops on the screen only to say shanghai hong kong egg foo young fortune cookie always wrong and that's it that's the entire scene <laughs> that's the only lines that he has 
and it's it doesn't even add to the song at all. It just it out of nowhere, this guy just pops in. It's like Mickey Rourke, you know, with the the ticky shirty line out of out of left field. So um, I don't know if I want. I don't want to say I appreciate it, but it definitely made that scene a little bit enjoyable because it was just like, oh, there's a little <laughs> that was an unexpected bit of racism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, his name is Shun Gone. Of course know, it is. Yeah, I mean. I guess I was. I guess I was expecting the name to be worse, so we'll give him that. But there were five, uh, five of nine old men working on this, so a lot of old men, you know. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of ex uh, World War II vets, or at least you know adjacent. Well, they made all the propaganda films, didn't they? <laughs> that's that's true. Oh man, there, man, the there was um a propaganda film that I just got. Someone showed me the other day that that was directed by Disney. We'll have to look into some of these because it was it was blowing my mind to be honest. Oh, that brings me to just a quick update. I was because I listened to weird stuff. I was uh, listening and, and watched a bit of people talk about the um, 1993-1994 unveiling of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, the hockey team that Michael Eisner bought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it opens with you know the ducks flying in. And it's basically a copy of the victi- victory through air power shots so i was like uh, i mean yeah although to be fair i think ducks owned that v formation before they did. military adopted it so it's it's a little bit unfair well, they also uh, called it victory also, yeah. through duck power so yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> through duck power on the screen so which, and then there's the swastikas which was weird with the hockey sticks yeah i don't i think that was in bad taste <laughs> and then there's the uh, mascot um not mr freeze that's schwarzenegger batman um oh what was his I, I forget the guy's name but basically he was fired by like a like, halftime just because everyone hated the mascot so much <laughs> like he didn't even make it to the end of the game he was supposed to be there the whole season and he didn't even make it to the end of the game so fortunately people couldn't tell who he actually was because he had all the makeup and sparkles and stuff so he could go off back to disneyland and just work there <laughs> it was probably actually worse working in the park <laughs> oh yeah I, I think it's i think it turned out he's part of like tomorrowland band so he was like hey he always wears glittery stuff all the time we'll put him in the put him in this and people love him and they did not <laughs> um you said did you get through your observations you said you had a couple yeah, so, so yeah so um there was there was one interesting when it almost looks like the kids think that o'malley is going to be their dad but then it's like oh but i can't because you live in paris and i'm going to go back here before someone's like hey why don't you just you know move in together but the kids just immediately like Oh well, we almost had a dad. You know, it was it was just as interesting immediately like um, you know, giving up and like, oh, I guess we'll just be bastards or you know, we'll just we'll just live this life without having a, a parental figure. And Mama's was, making a, quick... a booty call. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was just another booty call, whatever. <laughs> so is the life of a Parisian, right? Yeah. And then um what else here? There's a there's a scene where this the mouse runs by with all the cats, right? So first, so first of all, they send the mouse back to you know get the the jazz group back together and assemble to help them defeat Edgar, essentially, which is like the big, the real big climax outside of the musical version. Although it's it's not that interesting in my mind um, when they go and they like save the day. But what was interesting is when the mouse goes over, they basically give him three chances to prove himself. And then after he fails all three tests, they're about to kill him. And then finally he's like, uh, you know, O'Malley, O'Malley cat. 
And this is basically like the secret, you know, uh, code word. Because as soon as he says the secret code word of O'Malley, um, Scat Cat says, oh, hold on, cats. This one's on the level. And then they all back off and they like, you know, treat him as if he's one of their own. And and that little phrase there, that's basically a Masonic phrase of on the level. And it's basically like, oh, he's one of us. So don't kill him anymore. Um, which like there's all kinds of interesting rumors about World War II and even Civil War and going back. But basically, you know, uh, a soldier would get captured. But if he got captured by another Mason and he gave the secret handshake or he gave the secret code word, in this case, it was no one O'Malley cat. Um, once you give that secret code word, now all of a sudden your enemies become your friends because mm-hmm. now you're on the same team, which supersedes any sort of social standing. So I just thought that was out of all of the movies so far that have had these kind of obscure and vague occult references where you got to bend a little bit and you got to get a little bit imaginative or talk about fairy tales. This is 100% just a literal Masonic reference to this mouse knowing a secret code word and it's saving his life. Uh, especially with that symbolic of like the three chances, like, you know, this test and you fail it three times and you die. Um, and then he gets saved at the very end of it. So I thought that was just incredibly interesting that out of nowhere, it's just like, Oh, we're going to throw in this Masonic reference to, you know, show how knowing secret code words and secret handshakes can save you. Yeah. I was sitting there thinking like, Oh, well, the Apple devices will explode if you get it wrong three times. And it's like, well, actually interesting. Cause we we all do so many more codes in our lives now than when this movie came out. I think. I mean, I guess you have your uh, your safe or something, but you know, we just are always punching in passwords to everything now. You know. <laughs> when and I mean the the premise here is that he's so freaked out that he's about to die that you know under duress he can't remember the name of the guy that literally sent him here to help five out. minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> And but but anyways, so so that's the premise of why the the mouse goes to see the alley cats and then runs back and they're all chasing with him. Like now they're working together and there's a a drunk French guy outside of you know a cafe and he pours his wine out because he all he sees is that there's a mouse and a bunch of cats running together and I guess that's enough to make him think that he's you know overserved himself or something. But then at the end of the movie, um the what's the lady's name mrs belvedere no uh madame bonfamilier um bonfamille but like the madam, she basically says oh i've booked these cats they're gonna be part of this big show so this french guy thinks he was too drunk because he sees a cat running with mice and they're not just eating each other but then in this exact same reality this lady can put together an entire jazz group composed of cats and that's normal so i don't know and you know, I'm trying to look at too much logic in the cartoon, maybe, but it, it just seemed like a like a dumb joke that didn't that didn't hit well, and it didn't even make sense within the scope of the reality of the movie. Okay, well, segueing from from that then, because I, I at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, this is this is the setup for the aristocrats joke now, because we we're <laughs> we're debuting this act of of cats that you can call the aristocrats, right? And. Uh, <laughs> And whatever you put in between did not appear in the Disney movie. But <laughs> so these three cats show up on stage, right? Marie, Berlioz, and Toulouse. <laughs> and they, they got their handler with them. They got their owner with them. You know, we, we got to toss her. So in this case, it's it's not the family and a dog. It's it's the family of cats and the lady. So 
Ooh. And the butler, the butler's there. There's sleeping pills involved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see where it grows. I, I guess people were telling the aristocrats joke, and they I, they didn't really make it clear when this thing really. Well, in in the about. movie that came out in what 2005, you said 2006 or so. Yeah, they were in that movie. They were talking about how it was at least 40 or 50 years old. So yeah, we're talking at least the what the the 1950s or 40s and probably a little bit before that yeah i i've, I've read elsewhere they didn't say in the movie but i've heard something like, oh, it goes back to vaudeville or whatever so i imagine a few people in the room might have been thinking about that when they're animating the aristocats so <laughs> uh, i mean th- th- there's not a direct correlation it is a weird matching of movies except that they sound very very similar so in the, in well, the and, and in the aristocrats movie they there is a, a point that so often they'd accidentally end the punchline and so they aristocats just because the movie was all you know it's it's so easy to just miss the r and then it kind of like either spoils the joke or it makes it even creepier because now you just reference the children's movie did you yeah. <laughs> did you uh, did you like an or prefer any of the other names uh, they have the uh, sophisticates. They could be the sophisticates. Oh, the royals. That's a, that's the that's one that hits nicely. I like that one. <laughs> the royals was there like the debutants or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my favorite is the sophisticates. But I appreciate anyone that just wants to make it the royal family and <laughs> make it hit a little harder. Sure, why not? <laughs> I think it was just great seeing so many clean comics telling such dirty jokes. That's always my favorite version of that because it it does feel. And they, I guess they mentioned this in a way that this is almost like a secret society thing as well. That if you know this joke, then you know the ultimate insider joke. And this is this is like you proving that you're part of this, you know, inner secret cabal of comedians. Although I guess after the movie came out, now everyone knows about it. So it kind of it ruins that little aspect of it. But and that's um, why comedy you know, is dead. Well, they've been milking it for the last 50 or 60 years. So why not? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, it, you know, like I said, I didn't watch it when it came out. So watching it now is kind of weird just seeing everyone 18 years younger. <laughs> you know, John Stewart shows up. Oh, he's still a handsome young man here. That's a, that's amazing. You know, yeah, he was peak Daily Show in the middle of this movie for sure. Yeah. See, I, I, I watched the Daily Show when it premiered and, um, so I watched the Craig Kilborn one, and when they switched, I was like, "Oh, I don't know. I'm not feeling the new guy." You know, vibe. I remember that. I remember that. And then, and then John Stewart goes away, and everyone's like, rrr, rrr, But they were right on that one. <laughs> they were right the second time. Around. They were right the second time. But it was like ten years with John Stewart. So within a year or two, you know, he was like, everyone's like, "Oh, it's much better than it was in the first place." You know, the <laughs> the same thing happened with Talk Soup. I don't know if you ever watched Talk Soup back in the day too. But there was a guy. I think it was, it was John Henson. And then he gets outed by like two, you know, it happens like over and over. And I felt like that was the same dynamic there. That's definitely a name because I, I, I never really watched it, but I, I maybe scanned through the TV once and saw it. I was expecting to see some Muppets and they didn't show up. So I was disappointed. I hear hints and I want Muppets. <laughs> and and in the Aristoc- uh, in the Aristocrats documentary, there's a bunch of comedians talking about who they heard it from. And a couple people, or at least one person said that they heard their first version from Bill Hicks. And I would have loved to have heard Bill Hicks version. Cause I'm sure it was a very angry take on it, which I would have loved to hear. 
it was nice that uh, George Carlin was still alive at this point because uh, they could. I, I don't know if they could make this movie without at least George Carlin in it. <laughs> uh, dude, Bob Saget could have made this movie by himself, and it would have been the best movie ever. Oh yeah, just although now you the... couldn't, you couldn't make it without Bob Saget at this point. So yeah, yeah, really. I mean, I, I, I guess he, he was produced it or something. He seemed to be have his hand on the tiller of, of this one a little more than the other. Comedians. Well, they had Don Rickles in here. They had you know. Every comedian, the only one that didn't maybe hit was Whoopi Goldberg, but that was because she was talking about how she would have changed it up and not been as obscene. Which was, oh, right, right. And also, she honestly looked a little bit like <laughs> wacky at that moment. So, <laughs> but this um, was preview oh, wacky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but post T Rex, I think. <laughs> oh, what, Theodore Rex? <laughs> yeah, Theodore Rex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's on my bot. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I'm thinking yeah, Don Wrinkles is weird because uh, I do the Twilight Zone. So a month or two ago, I did a episode where Don Wrinkles shows up on the Twilight Zone. So seeing him suddenly, almost fifty years later, like whoa! <laughs> I, I I bring this one up on a few other uh, podcasts a few times. So I don't know if I've I've beaten it into the ground already. But in case you didn't know this one, this I find this endlessly fascinating. But that uh, allegedly, but. Anton LaVey, the guy that found the Church of Satan, right, um, right. From, from Hollywood or whatever, he got the inspiration for his original look of shaving his head and doing the pointy little beard and the, little, um, the pointy little mustache. That came directly from an episode of the Wild Wild West called Night of the Druid's Blood. And in Night of the Druid's Blood, Don Rickles plays a cult leader uh, named Osmodeus, I think, or he's like cult leader slash demon. And in that particular episode of Wild Wild West with Don Rickles, he looks exactly like this character that Anton LaVey later kind of like adopts that character. So our entire premise and the Church of Satan and the origin and, you know, Sammy Davis Jr.'s homeboy, all of that aesthetic came from Don Rickles, which I don't know. There's something so appropriate that modern day Satanism somehow originated with Don Rickles. Steal from the best. So that actually yeah, might be Don, right. that actually might be Dom Wrinkles in the backwards of the Eagles Hotel California album. Are you, and you know what? I I apologize in case I'm mixing him up with er, Ernest Borgnine, but either or <laughs> Don Rickles, Ernest Borgnine, either or, it still is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. There's all those as actor twins. Um, uh, because of an era twilight. They're the same book. person. Convince me they're not. Just like Alex Jones and uh, Bill Hicks. Yeah, I, I I finally worked out that Jonathan Winters and Walter Matthau are different people. At like age <laughs> 44 or whatever i am now <laughs> well i mean walter Matthau was like twice the size of john waters no uh, uh, uh jonathan winters jonathan winters oh john winters okay yeah yeah not john waters i love john waters but yeah jonathan winters uh who was um robin williams son on the last season of mork and mindy because they age backwards <laughs> What a great uh, sort of trajectory that last season took. <laughs> hey, I was three years old. It was great. <laughs> I loved that. I remember loving that last season work at Mindy. It's probably the worst thing ever, but I loved it. <laughs> even even I remember that was on like Nick at Night or something, but I always felt even from a younger age, like they didn't shell a lot for the set design. It felt like it was just always taking place. In, uh, in like the same two places they had that egg right and the, the transition i, and I, I hate felt... dude the egg was just like oh great it's another egg scene you know shocker we're gonna see the egg for the next 10 minutes <laughs> I, I think 
Yeah, I think when I was three years old, I actually that was my Halloween costume. I, I wore an orc costume. Yeah. <laughs> the, the red wait, wait, orc suit. An egg or <laughs> the orc suit, the red one, the Morks Morks costume. Okay. And he's not wearing suspenders in a rainbow shirt. <laughs> the, I mean, the, honestly, the rainbow shirt and the suspenders is the is the cooler costume. But... It is now, but when you're three years old, it's a spacesuit. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Makes a better Halloween costume too, I think. I mean, if you're gonna, you know go walking trick-or-treating down the street it's a it's a good one to have i think uh yeah actually yeah robin williams is kind of the biggest bummer to see in here and i mean great to see him but also man like oh man that that's yeah always a bummer uh, seeing such a manic guy who, who who knows how he went out exactly but uh <laughs> All right, and you could follow that up with watching jack too which is like the <laughs> the saddest robin williams movie yeah 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 I it, I guess technically that would be Patch Adams, except that movie makes you angry instead. <laughs> Patch Adams on another interesting conspiracy tangent, but the uh, the real life Patch Adams was um man I, I can't I'm blanking on the name, but there's a guy that ran this this cult slash you know Mary Prankster Society called the Finders, and uh, oh man well, David that, but... da- uh, David Petty I want to say. David Marie Petty or something, but, but apparently patch Adams was a frequent, you know, either member or frequent guest of this finders community, which was like a weird sort of hedonistic bohemian self, you know, self-described bohemian society that operated on the outskirts of like DC. So it had a lot of like, imagine the same place that Charles Manson and like Donald Rumsfeld might have, you know, attended and had a drink at some point. It's kind of like, a weird mishmash of the powerful and and the weird and freaky uh, that extended all the way out into the eighties and nineties, I believe. So I always thought that was weird that patch Adams was somehow adjacent to that group. Maybe, maybe that's why the movie made me angry. I don't, I, I do remember just coming out, you know, usually it takes you like a few minutes to decide you just watched the terrible movie, right? Like well, maybe that was okay. Um, I've heard multiple people say, I don't like, know. I, f- I feel like I've got such a low threshold now. Like I know about 20 minutes in, you know, if it's a good movie or not. I've I've just heard about five people, including myself after seeing the amazing Spider-Man two, being like, oh, yeah, okay, that was good. And by the time they had gotten home, we're like, well, actually. <laughs> so is, t- is two the one with Mary Jane or the one with um the, the newspaper publisher's daughter, the, the second Andrew Garfield one, so the Emma Stone, the one with one? Jamie Fox. Yeah, yeah, Jamie Emma Fox. One. Yeah, he's Jamie Elect- Fox in a Spider-Man movie. Uh, Electro, he was Electro. Am I mixing nut factors here? Oh God, now I have to look. Yeah, I think. Anyway, I, was I Jamie Fox Electro. I want to. I mean, he was he was acting super dorkish. Yeah, yeah. You're, now I'm like second guessing myself. I'm pretty sure it's it's correct. I, I guess you're gonna find this before me. Uh, let's see. No, no, yeah, Jamie, Jamie Fox. Okay, Fox, yeah, but this is the one that had Emma Stone in it, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so ironically, though, this was the far more interesting comic book story and plotline and love interest, way more interesting than Mary Jane ever would have been. Although they didn't really do this particular storyline the justice that I think that they could have. Well, I remember walking out of the theater being like, oh, that was very Ditko, like Steve Ditko on screen. That's that's great. But by the time I got home, I was like, yeah, that wasn't. The lecture wasn't very good. The, the, the story was kind of weird, you know? Um, I don't know. 
So I, I should probably rewatch that one sometime. But I'm so burnt out on superhero movies. I, th- I think Spider Man's the only one that maybe I can do. So maybe I can rewatch that one. But I've I've missed. I, I finally fell off the wagon. I haven't seen like the last four tentpole Marvel movies because I quit caring. Have you Have you done any of the Doctor Strange movies? I, that was kind of. The, I saw both of them. The, the second one, okay. I think, is the last Marvel movie I saw. So I haven't seen any have come out since that. Did the, is that the one that, that killed you, or or was that an exception? It's it's weird. It's not even like I mean I liked watching the theater. I'm like oh it's it's got I mean it's got Sam Raimi touches which are cool. It, it's not really a Sam Raimi movie, but it's got enough touches that it entertained me. But I just quit caring. It wasn't even like this is bad or anything. I was like I don't care anymore. Yeah no yeah no I, I get it man. <laughs> which is surprising because I was you know a comic book kid and 15 years ago I was well, there, all in on this. There's some that that are so good that I think stand outside of. The, the blase just kind of like mainstream like for example punisher warzone have you ever seen uh that one it's kind of like shot like a low budget b movie but it's amazing it's it's kind of like the dread remake it was just called dread it didn't oh, yeah, get nearly great. as much promotion Probably but it was urban. a great movie you know it's, I, I, it's a yes. great experience so yeah, if you haven't seen punisher warzone uh, that one's definitely worth a watch in the Marvel sort of pantheon and okay. and I don't man I, I'm just gonna hope that this exists so I'll just pretend like it does but i heard a few rumors that there might actually be a dc uh lobo movie and if there's ever a lobo movie i'm all in for that that was probably the only dc character that i ever cared half about um and and i mean i I loved lobo lobo was probably like one of my top three favorite characters of all time he recently showed up on a live action tv show um lobo yeah hold on this sounds like important information so Oh, there we go. DC Comics character. <clears throat> it, was, it was a show I was in, like Krypton, maybe? I think it was Krypton. The TV show Krypton, which I didn't even know existed. So, vacation um, <laughs> history. Hey, oh, man, I'm looking at his first appearance of Lobo, where he looks completely ridiculous. Okay. Uh, film appearances. DC Rebirth powers and abilities. Man, he, Lobo has a long bio on wiki here live action okay lobo appears in the second season of krypton this version displays vendetta against brainiac who destroyed who destroyed his home planet and stole his home city no that's not right lobo kills everyone on his planet right uh i don't think so no i mean lobo kills lots of people on other planets but I think that he was the last he was the last one alive from his own planet I don't because think he killed them all he killed his own people? Yeah, he killed everyone on his planet, so he had to leave his planet to start killing other people. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was supposed to be, like, the, the absolute, like, you know, out, like, the most heightened version of the anti-hero badass possible, right? So, well, it's just funny because now the modern version of Lobo, he's got, like, a cute little daughter that, that he uh, follows him around everywhere. Oh, okay. So yeah, we, we need we need the nineties. Lobo was for the nineties for sure. I mean it's great in the eighties, but he was the most nineties character ever, I guess is maybe the in, in a fun way. So <laughs> So who was your favorite? I guess Sagat was your favorite of the comedians here telling this joke? I, I, so out of the name out of the, the big names, Sagat, although there was a couple people that I didn't I, I recognized them from seeing them, but I didn't know them by name that had some really good variations on it. But yeah, Saget, it's Saget just brings it to the next level. And, uh, and the fact that he's like, and then, you know, I'm going to tell this joke to the full house girls 
I just thought it was a, a nice little cherry on top. Yeah, see, you'd want to go. It's like I'd want to go with George Carlin. I'm like, well, that it's basically his normal act. <laughs> like, Carlin, yeah, and, and, and his wasn't bad. He was talking about like you know he got very textural. He was talking about corn and peanuts and different viscosities. And I and I you know I get it, but man, everyone and also Donick Carey was in there too. Um, what else? Ha- uh, Harry Shearer, which was Mr. Burns, had a few good ones. Uh, the guy that did Apu, I can't remember his voice, his name off the top of my head. He had Hank some Azaria. really great ones. Yeah, Hank Azaria. He had uh, uh, some decent ones. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I was kind of answering a question by asking if it was Saget. Because uh, Carlin, I'm like, I, I definitely like Carlin as comedy better. But I'm like, it's it, this isn't different from his comedy where Saget is just like, that's part of the joke, right? <laughs> that is so insane. <laughs> So and and you were saying that you were gonna maybe free ball your um your own one, but uh, yeah, I, I decided it's probably you can't. Yeah, do you don't want to. You probably don't want to bomb the channel obscene. over it. Yeah, and yeah. Not, and and honestly, like they were saying that this is about the comedian and not the joke. So it's about you know, like how well you can improvise, how well your your jazz is. But unless you're practicing your jazz constantly, it might not land great although i do have an interesting sort of uh variation on this that's that's not necessarily an aristocrats joke but i tried plugging it in the chat gpt originally i went and found the bob saget version which is probably one of the the dirtier ones (laughs) so and as you can imagine the second that i pasted it into chat gpt and hit send by the time it spit out like four or five words then all of the text went away and I got a big red warning. That's like, you know, what you've just tried to send our system is highly inappropriate. It's violated our, you know, our content policy. And it basically stopped typing at that point. And I had to like make a new session. The CIA so I, is on the way to your house right now. Th- well, I don't know. I don't know over, <laughs> over the joke, but, but definitely it was, it was more than just like a warning. It was like, Oh, we're immediately stopping what's going on here. <laughs> we're putting and I, tr- I tried it with, the legacy version, the optimized three to three point five, and then Chat GPT four, which is the newest one. And another technique that I've I've learned, you know, just to have fun with these AI systems, is that I'll base sixty four encode something, which is basically just kind of encode. It's not an encryption, but you encode it so that it's no longer human readable, and it's a lot easier. You can take a big chunk of text and make it a little bit smaller. It's almost like zipping it a little bit. So I took the Bob Saget aristocrats joke and base 64 encoded it. So now it's just a bunch of gobbledygook, right? <laughs> so it let me paste it in a chat GPT without giving me the big red warning. But then chat GPT would come back. And for example, uh, 3.5 just said, um, it's, it basically said it didn't understand what I had sent it. It said, I'm sorry, but I'm having trouble understanding what you're trying to communicate. It just seems to be a mixture of words and phrases and sentences. Please provide more context. And when I tried giving it more context, then it was like, oh, no, (laughs) you know, we're not allowed to do that. I started a new one and I sent the exact same base 64 encoded joke to chat GPT four. And it immediately comes back and it says, I cannot engage in discussing or providing any response to explicit, offensive, or inappropriate content. And that was it. It just ended the conversation. Well, I guess they're but, rolling the other way since last time they let the AI loose. It just went, what, Nazi within three hours or something? <laughs> well, they, they kind of always do because who has the most amount of time but kids on 4chan, right? 
But here's the interesting thing is that if I went with the non-legacy version of chat GPT and the slightly older one, I sent the exact same base 64 encoded. And then all of a sudden I got what sounded like, like a aristocrat adjacent story, but it lacked any of the humor or, or like the <laughs> vulgarity, but it's very, very dark. It turned into a very dark prose. Um, so, so I just want to read a little bit of this weird thing. And I, the interesting part is that it, there's no question here. There was no command. There was nothing that said like, you know, here's a joke. Tell me what you think of it. Or, you know, tell me a joke. It was just the joke encoded and nothing else. You know what I mean? So it, it immediately comes back and it says the show starts strong with my son and daughter playing with my son and daughter playing with our dog. The dog is old and has missed some of my son's milestones. So the video is only one of the few memories we have. The dog is one of those loyal pets we can't imagine life without. So the memories are especially precious. The dragon is another element of my son's life. The dragon represents the unknown and my son's imagination is fascinating. The dragon is a reminder we can create our own stories. And then it starts talking about how the dog's teeth are falling out and that how the son and the daughter are incredibly sad because the dog is dying because of its falling teeth and it goes on to this long prose it's about like eight paragraphs and i thought it was such a fluke that i went and found another version of the aristocrats joke and i did the same exact thing and it get, and it started out and it says the show starts strangers with surrounding and daughter playing with our dog the dog is old and has misaligned teeth she sucks on a long tooth and gums the dog's happy and doesn't seem to mind. And it just keeps going on and on. And it never quite gets vulgar or inappropriate. But <laughs> the fact that it's talking like it's so weird because it clearly understood, you know, part of the context that like something bizarre is happening with kids and a dog and a family. And there's like things that are sucking on each other, but it doesn't ever cross the line. But uh, it, it it's almost creepier <laughs> because it feels like a like a horrible, like humorless hellscape version of the aristocrats joke. <laughs> yeah. The colorless one that that is, you should start a Twitter feed for that. Just like the, the dark disturbing. is shrinking and my son finally comes out of the shadows, reeling how much he wants to make something out of his life. My daughter is studying and doing well, but I worry about her safety and the risks that come with living in a big city. Like it just keeps going on and on with like these very weird, dark, ominous, things i don't know it's it's this was beyond fascinating to me because i i did this a few more times and every time that i base 64 encoded another variation of the aristocrats joke ai would keep giving me something that was very similar to this that's great i, I love that I, i'm like that should be like a twitter thread of just like creepy non-vulgar aristocrat jokes done by ai <laughs> <laughs> that's a twitter feed wing happened so um in, in case you do listen to the occult disney podcast with your family around the radio um i i'm not going to go full aristocrats dirty but i had a thought about how i do it did it and, and i am going to have to go straight to an f-bomb to to make this effective i was like uh -oh. okay how would i how would i construct this i mean you have to construct it's like, it's like jazz you need to have a basic melody right and that's what I got from the movie. I'm like, oh, all of them are taking like something, a little something from their life, building off of that or on their shtick, right? So, I, I think I got a, I think I got a good idea on at least a foundation for how I would construct the joke if I had comedy chops. Which, okay. um, so near near one of 
near one of the places I work, there's a 7-Eleven, which I, I've nicknamed the fucking and sucking 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I go in there and it, everyone there looks about male and female, looks about 20 years old, extremely glam and, um, you know, like like kind of like J-pop wannabes. Right. But they're all like working at the 7-Eleven, which is weird. I go in like last week and um, they're doing inventory or something and like seven people who all look about age 20 and the guy comes to check me out, not in a 7-Eleven uniform. Maybe he's the manager, also glammed out, maybe slightly older, like 24. Um, he's like in a black pimp suit, basically. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> but uh, every Saturday I go in there, right, after work uh, to, buy, to buy a snack. And uh, every Saturday I walk in completely empty. So I get my stuff, walk up to the counter, about five seconds, always about five seconds, someone comes out from the back room, right? So I'm like, what's happening in the back room? You know, they look very glam. And like, so I assume, well, anyway, what goes on in that back room is going to be the basis of, of my aristocrats joke. <laughs> of, the, of the sucking fucking 7-Eleven? Yeah, what, going what on goes in the back on? Room? In, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, you know. Poppers I, probably, right? They, they sell poppers maybe. at 7-Eleven there? Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you got, but you buy Genki drink. Actually, this is a fun story. Um, this is twenty years ago when I first came to Japan, and uh, my buddy and I, you know, there, there's no drugs in Japan. We were like, how are we gonna have a fun time? So we're like, let's get the most expensive Genki drink, energy drink, right? So we go to Seven Eleven, buy it, walk right outside, drink it. We don't even and saunter off, right? As our Japanese gets a little better, we remember the 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 um, the drink was called Bing Bing. Bing Bing in Japanese is erection. So <laughs> <laughs> just two guys out on the town. <laughs> two foreigners pop in in the middle of the afternoon, buy expensive, uh, basically like Viagra in a bottle and saunter off. <laughs> that could go sightseeing. Good. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to base, I would be basing my aristocrat jokes on what goes on at the 7 Eleven, what goes on in the back room of the 7 Eleven, uh, especially that one. Now, there is a counter argument for my uh, coworker. He, he, he's a boxer. He, he, and he goes, his boxing gym is like two doors down from the 7-Eleven. So he's like, yeah, nah. he's like, no, nah, you're wrong. It's, it's not that. Because I go in there. I go in there after boxing and, and I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ripped, you know, I'm ready to go. And they don't invite me. So that means that can't be <laughs> happening. He's like, he's like, that you're wrong because they didn't invite me. <laughs> so I don't know if that's, I, that's fantastic. Um, that's a fantastic retort. To, to my theory but i don't know if it's a logical one or not so no i don't think it is yeah but i, I do like it that's great they invite me so it's not happening <laughs> so anyway yeah i'm not, I'm not going to sit here and try and actually make that joke so if, if anyone wants to you know if, if a proper comedian wants to you know steal that and then construct their own aristocrats joke from that they that's a free that. that's generous of you You're just throwing free ones out there throwing them out yeah that, that's one for the masses there <laughs> so um <laughs> Um. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's how we do the joke, I guess. That that's is is that how we end this? Did you want to throw some something else out on the aristocrats? I just I just want people to reconsider that Edgar was in the right here, and that if anyone were to put your own mental health, you know, and then elevate three kittens on top of that, I feel like you're totally in the right to kill those cats. Okay, I as I said, for me, he just committed the crime of being boring because whenever he was on screen i'd like like totally zone out so <laughs> that's why i gotta say for that guy um 
I should actually look at the list of what the next film is and not guess that it's The Rescuers, but I'm pretty sure it's The Rescuers that people will be hanging out for next time. Let's see. Disney. And I feel like I do need to spend an inordinate amount of time figuring out exactly what the backstory is on that blooper from The Rescuers. Who did it? Who found it? What? versions made it out you know who got fired over it i feel like that could be some good banter yeah oh oh uh we we have to do the many adventures of winnie the pooh first because it came out four months before the rescuers wow can can we combine that one with the horror one that just came out yeah sure why not (laughs) that's blood and honey right yes okay well, wow. yeah. This this is wild. I'm just looking at the list here. Jungle Book is 70, Aristocrats is 70, Bedknobs and Bruins 671, Robin Hood 73, and then nothing until three films in 1977. And then nothing until 1981 Fox and the Hound, then nothing until Black What Morgan. were what were the 77s? The Winnie the Pooh, The Rescuers and Pete's Dragon. Hmm. So, it's just yeah, weird how like they just kind of I well, hey, I guess you know eisner was effective in the 80s at least because <laughs> yeah once you get to 85 it's like release 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 so yeah 85 86 87 88 288 they can't 89. all be no mobile right they can't they, they can't, can't all be, the no be those, mobile. That's those blockbuster smashes <laughs> i just i just didn't realize just how much disney slowed down in the 70s in the early 80s so they came a few times to just dissolving entirely right that's and, right do you think that they're too big now for that to happen? They don't really have a proper 2D animation department anymore, if I'm if I'm correct. Well, I guess no, I'm talking just about, you know, the general IP and branding and global conglomerate sort of, you know, robotic overlords that are it, it almost feel like like Disney has solidified themselves as like uh, you know, royalty for the next hundred years. Well, from what I can tell, Bob Chapek did his best to uh, drive it into the into the wall. <laughs> well, maybe, but I, I guess independent of any sort of sea level executives and and you know actual people, the the corporation as its own entity, right? Because corporations are people. The corporation of Disney seems like it's it's got staying power to last another century, even if they try to run it into the ground. It just has bought up so much you know karma i guess they might have like, to like se- start selling your kids off. well even if disney were to dissolve tomorrow right there's still a good chance that your kids will be showing their kids disney movies so it's going to at least be around for a few generations regardless of how they manage it now if you really want to make your brain explode you know read some of the um the past and like you know genie and magic band stuff from the parks uh, read the the terms and conditions and your brain will explode for those. I mean, not even in terms and conditions, just the description of how it works. So <laughs> of of what now? Um, like park passes and you know all the different ways, you know, like I, I was just I was Oh yeah, people... like blackout dates and secret decoder rings to figure out exactly if you know your four hundred dollar ticket, you can even use it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and you have to like plan like which ride you're gonna ride at like 3 p.m. like six months earlier. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wasn't always like that. It's a fairly new over the last decade uh, recent addition to that. Because, man, the the golden time was that 
you had the pass, you show up, you go on single rider line, you ride the ride and you go and hit them all up like that. And then if it was too busy, you would just get like a little fast pass. It's like when you go, I don't know how in Japan, if if it works the same, like you go to the grocery store, if there's a long line, you take the little ticket with the number on it. Right. And then they call your number and then you go up. So that way you don't have to sit around and wait for it. And that was like the perfect time. But now that's been taken to the extreme. Like you're talking about where now it's like you buy your ticket to Disney in six months from now. And then three months before your trip starts, you start getting alerts on your phone. That's like, you know, schedule the exact time to the 15 minute increment of when you want to go on the teacup ride. And then, you know, based on trajectory, here's how long it'll take to get through that line and get to the ride. So that if you want to go on, you know, um, you know, this, this other ride and it kind of plans your entire itinerary out all for you. It's almost like going to like AAA and having them book your whole vacation and like plan all of the exits you're going to take and everything. I think it's been a while since I've been at Tokyo Disney, but I think you can still be whimsical at Tokyo Disney. I mean, Tokyo Disneyland always had a plan of attack, which was, what was my plan of attack? Um, gates open. Well, actually, the Main Street opens first, so you get breakfast, right? When they open the rest of the park, you, uh, you, you not crazy person, but uh, power walk to Pooh's Honey Hunt, get your pass, go ride Space Mountain or Big Thunder. Because the line's wait, wait, not longer. Poo, Pooh's Honey Hunt is that like the big one that everyone rushes to get a ticket for? Yes. Oh, do you not know what Pooh's Honey Hunt? No, I don't know what Pooh's Honey Hunt is. No. Make, uh, make sure it's the Tokyo version. They have lamer versions in the American parks. I, I don't know if Florida has one or not. Uh, Disneyland has one, but it's it was the first trackless ride system. Uh, so you you're riding around in a honey pot and you don't know where it's going because it's just a big floor and uh yeah amazing ride so i i would say it's really I mean, you have to look that up i, I haven't I, I haven't been on recent rides i don't, I don't know what guardians of the galaxy or tron's like but uh up to yeah 2010 when i was regularly attending parks i would say that is the best ride so yeah get, get a ride to do that but yeah yeah, talk- it's it's not always the best rides that have those long waits but i, I remember at uh, hollywood studios which is where i worked on the way out, the biggest one was the Toy Story ride because the Toy Story ride, it was a tracked ride, but it was an interactive one where you like shoot the screen and you try to get high scores and all this stuff. Um, but that was one of those ones that if you didn't sign up early or get, get a fast pass, people would literally wait in that line for two and a half, three, sometimes four hours to ride it one time. No, the best uh, the best Disney experience I had ever. So I, I would target like when I was, you know, young and single and had a disposable income i'd target like thursdays in february mm-hmm. so I, I remember being at disneyland and it's like 6 p.m i'm like i actually wish there were more people here it feels weirdly empty <laughs> and uh it's honestly man when you can find it and it's it's almost <laughs> empty is the best times to go like in florida if you time it right there's you know hard like you'll have a, a tropical depression or like a, a huge storm and sometimes people will be worried that they're going to close the park down and then you just lose out on your ticket. Um, but if you can play it right and you and you see that the storm might pass, like there's been times that I was able to go to like Bush Gardens or Universal and it was so dead that after you rode a big roller coaster, they didn't even make you get off and go back through the line. They'd just be like, you want to go again? You're like, yeah, you know what I mean? They just <laughs> hit the button again and do that a few times. See, that was my Disney Sea experience a very successful park by the way but that one on a thursday in february i, I remember we, we were getting fast passes and then so that we, they did, at least used to have them i think they still mm-hmm. 
by 10 a.m., it's like, why are we getting fast passes? There's nobody here. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah we just, stop. Don't make me go back through the line. Just hit the button again, dude. Yeah, yeah. So that that was fantastic. Uh, a bit of whimsy. Anyway, I guess we'll close this one out for today. Uh, this is the Occult Disney Podcast. Next up is Pusan. It's P- he's very popular in Japan. He's Pusan here. Um, <laughs> so Pusan. Uh, Pusan. That's that sounds like that's part of an aristocrat joke. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. Um, but no, if you say Winnie the Pooh to a Japanese person, they'll look at you sideways. But if you say Pusan, they're like, oh Pusan, yeah, they love Pusan. They love Pusan. Oh, I just I just put two and two together. Okay, Pusan is in Mister, right? So Pusan, yeah. <laughs> well, Mister or Mrs. It's gen- it's not gender. Mister Pooh, yeah, Mister Pooh, yeah. So they love Pusan. <laughs> I, that's why it sounds like one word because it it comes out so flowingly so uh we will be talking about pusan next time uh there'll probably be a, a two or three week delay for the listener but um you know that's that's just how that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes um you can find us on patreon at podcastio podcastius we do many podcasts there including the new one uh films and filth debuting in april where we look at the top 100 films and the bottom 100 films as rated on internet movie database i talk about the twilight zone on time enough podcast and there's some video games with luke loves pokemon the game game show and a new podcast about zelda that i do not know the name for so but my buddy <laughs> like, well, we, i did one with uh my friend yesterday and um he was like ah, maybe it's it's um Hi, was it Hyrule? I'm home or something. I was like, that they should name it that if it's not that already. <laughs> that's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. It's I don't think that's the name though. I don't think that's the name of it though. But uh, yeah, what's up in your world? Or this is pretty much real time. Yeah, I mean, uh, paranoidamerican.com. I've got all kinds of new comics and stories popping up on there. If you want to see some of the weird base sixty four encoded chat GPT. Uh, aristocrat weird you know jokes that's all on my twitter uh I, it, it's weird i use my my addition my different social media accounts for different things so really weird disturbing things go on twitter uh animations and and uh videos and cartoons and comic updates go on instagram and then the website is where i'm just always putting all the new finished stuff so yeah paranoidamerican.com and i think we've probably got like three or four different kickstarters that are in pre-launch phase right now so there's one called never a straight answer or nasa about stanley kubrick directing the moon landings uh you can find that one on the website and sign up for notifications and then we've also got the chosen one uh, issue two that's coming out and man two or two or three others too i've got one called mold which is about a poor lunch lady and her cat that get tormented by middle schoolers uh and then the it's up to her to save the world but she doesn't want to because you know, the kids in her school have tortured her, so she's going to hold it against humanity. That's going to be a really great one. And there's another one called Rising from the Ashes about uh, these adventurers that every time they get tattoos, they pass out and wake up in a dream world and can use the tattoos uh, as like physical objects. But they always die at the end, usually getting burnt alive by a big phoenix. So it's called Rising from the Ashes. It's just about constantly dying over and over. So those are all fun. Those are all really fun ones. What what's the name of their act? <laughs> the aristocrats. Oh, you got it right. Good job. <laughs> I didn't know if you go cats or crats, so I was like kind of like holding my breath on that. 
And then they start vomiting into each other's mouths and they jerk off in it. And then there's some poop involved and phlegm. And yeah. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are looking fine tonight. But you know what really gets up in my crawl? It's the Shadow State and the Reptilian Cabal. Let me sing a little bit about it. It goes something like this. Big time ponies out, digital fracking, peddling their basalts and consciousness hacking. Volitions rigged in indigenous land. Why for the homeless they won't lift their hand? You know it, babe, every minute, every hour. You just gotta say, fuck the power. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's it, fuck the power. Let me hear you say it with me, fuck the power. Fuck the power! Oh, that's wonderful. Can I hear it one more time? Fuck the power. Fuck the power! I gotta sing a little more. Shadow State Elite bet on our parties. Reality frame experts are smarty. Pipeline of drugs in all of the cities. Celebrity wankers you told are so pretty. You know it, babe, every minute, every hour. You just gotta say, fuck the power. Fuck Can you sing a little bit? That's fuck the power. power. Oh, that's beautiful. Here we go. Mind control deceit up all the isms. Internet porn to steal all your chism. Fabricate walls so you sin with the knife. A false reality trip to steal your life. You know it, babe, every minute. You just gotta say, fuck the power. Fuck you, I won't do what you told me. But can I hear you sing it again? That's fuck the power. It's like butterflies in my ears. Fuck the power. Oh yeah. Gangbankers build economics, Babylonian. Reptilian cabals against the Amazonian. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, that's Fuck the Power. Good evening and good luck.